Have you ever heard this phrasing? It's, that's kind of how we talk about it. Oh, that guy really brought alive the scriptures. That, that gal really brought alive the scriptures. And, and as if that's what makes this moment special. When that's not really what makes this moment special at all. The preacher has no such responsibility. The preacher just points to the lively limbs and the, the active heartbeat that already is the word of God. Word of God is already alive. We're just pointing to it. And that's why this moment is so special. That's why God tells us not to forsake the meeting together because when we're all here and we're of one heart and one mind, like again, our missional communities are really the, the source of where we find discipleship. But here where we gather together, we need to just bring, you know, God brings a lot of the scriptures for us. Like this is an amazing moment. And so uh, that's our context for what we're back in, in the, the gospel according to Mark. Back in the gospel according to Mark. We're going to be in chapter 3, uh, 7 through 12. We're all the way in the middle we're all the way in the middle of chapter three. Uh, we're going to be in the parables in three weeks. Like, like things are moving forward, but right now he's going to take a pause break. Our author, his name is John Mark. He's going to take a pause break. He's an evangelist, a teacher. He's, he's, he's Paul's really best ministry partner. Uh, and this is where he gathers his information and his heart from. He's going to take a moment and take a pause and say, I want to look back at what Jesus has done. I want to look at how famous Jesus is. I want to look at the crowds that are following Jesus. So before I move into all these other topics, I want you to, to pause with me and look at really who Jesus is, how Jesus is the centrality of culture and time right here. It's, it's crazy how centered he is, how centered he is in general. Uh, and, and really, before we get it there, I just want to be hot church. Remember, we're hot church, humble, open, teachable. And to get to that moment where we're humble, open, teachable, I like to pray and really center our hearts on the center who is Jesus. God, uh, we welcome you in this moment, in this time, in this place. We trust you. We ask for you. Your presence changes everything. It is not my clever construction of a manuscript, or it, it is not my amazing argumentation that somehow brings the scriptures alive. It is your Holy Spirit in this room bringing alive the text. It is your living word of God that somehow changes us on a Mother's Day morning. So we, we welcome you in, we ask you in, we want to be hospitable to your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. That's where we're at today. I realize this is not a very Mother's Day text, okay? This is not very Mother's Day at all. I'm going to use the word fornication at some point, and you're going to be like, this, this doesn't feel like Mother's Day. But it's just, we like to go verse by verse through the scriptures. So that's who we are, uh, and we will celebrate moms all at the same time because we're good like that, all right? Let, let's hit this text together. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. Let's just talk about some geography here. Okay? This is one of those texts that we kind of read through and you're reading maybe by yourself. Maybe you're doing an alone time with Jesus and, and that's good. We love that. Maybe you're in your missional community and people are just kind of reading it and you just kind of breeze through it. Don't, okay, Jesus withdrew with his disciples and there's a great crowd. And then, yeah, that place, that place, that place, that place, that place. We don't want to say all the names. Let's just go through that place. And, and we just kind of skip through. But when you do that, you're missing the gravity of the situation that's going on here. Let's just talk about the geography. I got a little map. It's a horrible map, but it gets the job done. Okay. Tyre and Sidon is all the way up there, northwest. Israel, about 100 miles south. Uh, Idumea is all the way down here. It touches Arabia. Okay, that's, that's how south Idumea is. 
And if you want to go all the way east, because that's what they're saying, it goes beyond the River Jordan, okay? So, so that's the scope of the people that are sitting in the crowd that have chased down Jesus. To just feel that with me. Like, how does an Idumean down here hear about Jesus and then leave job and home and family to just be around Jesus as he talks? This in a time where there's no efficient communication and no efficient travel. The internet, they don't even have dial-up. Meaner, meaner. They don't get a dial-up. I had one of those phones back in the day. Let's, let's go all the way back. I had one of these phones that went like this. You guys didn't know it was that old. That's impressive, right? I had one of them phones. No phones. No efficient form of communication. No paper. All they got is this thing called papyrus. They don't have a great mail route. So when they need words to travel, say Jesus is special. Jesus did this miracle. Jesus did this thing. You want to come see him. They had to use the ancient form of communication called word of mouth. When they wanted to travel, uh, there's, no, there's no bullet train. Uh, what they had to do was they had to use their feet and travel. Camel, maybe. Horse, maybe. Did you know that when they won a war, they had these guys called heralds? Okay, and if they lost a war and they needed to get, you know, kind of freaked out a little bit, they had these guys called heralds. You know what the herald's job was? Run. Put some pre-workout in. Get some Nikes on and just go, bro. I mean, for days at a time, these are the guys, these are the marathon runners that could run so you could get back and you could announce the news. Here's what I'm trying to say. Feel this. Feel the amount that these people are going through just to see Jesus. I mean, you, you know, like me, a bunch of great artists go to the PlayStation Theater, come into town. This is an artist that you've been following for for days on end. They're there on a Friday night. Maybe, maybe you get some, you got some Groupon going on. It's $30. You're like, wow, I could really make that. And then Friday hits and you're like, huh, that's a lot. 20 minutes, you know, I got to get a babysitter or I got to crawl out of bed. I don't know. That just feels like a lot. And we don't go. These people are coming from Idumea on foot. Sometimes a three-month journey just to get a glimpse of Jesus, to see what Jesus is doing, to see who Jesus is. Next verse, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. He doesn't want to die like Mufasa. Okay? I, I'm trying to think of, like, who, um, like, what other scenarios do we worry about stampeding as humans? The only time I can think of is, like, Target on Black Friday which tells you a lot about our culture, doesn't it? These people are stampeding to see Jesus. We're stampeding for 20% off on a flat screen. You know? Not the main point, though, right? I just want you to feel what's going on here. Feel the the urgency to talk about Jesus, to see Jesus, uh, to experience who Jesus is. Feel how far they've communicated. Feel, Feel how far they've traveled. It's so urgent and so powerful that Jesus is worried he's gonna die from a stampede Uh, In verse 20, a different passage, same chapter, Jesus can't even eat. He can't even sit down and have a meal. He's like, I just want a sandwich, guys. And they're crowding around him, and they're, they're trying to touch him, and they're trying to be healed. This is new level fame in a new level way. I'm not talking about 21st century fame, where you can, you can get famous by sitting on your derriere on YouTube in your living room. 
I'm not talking about that fame. Where, you can, where your word travels in seconds, where your body can travel in hours all the way to the other side of the earth. I'm not talking about that type of, type of thing. I'm talking about a Jewish carpenter with little to no resources becoming the centrality of the world. People traveling from Idumea to see Jesus. A Jewish carpenter from a fishing town. This is what I'm talking about. Becoming somehow the central focus where he thinks he's going to die from a stampede. Now there's a, major, there's a major reason here, right? Verse 10. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him and, uh, to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. People did not necessarily want Jesus' teaching of heart. They wanted his healing of hand. They wanted his, wanted his miracle of hand. Uh, but I'm, I'm tired of talking about the heart. I feel like we've talked about the heart for six weeks. Okay, we got it, Justin. It's about relationship. It's not about religion. We got that. Jesus is after your heart. He's a father who loves you. He wants your heart. I want to talk about the head today. Because sometimes we feel ashamed to go into the cognitive about Jesus, to, to really go into the historical nature of Jesus and love him with our head. There's nothing shameful about that. There's nothing, nothing shameful about study. There's nothing shameful about deep study. There's nothing shameful about using your head to love God. God tells us that the, the, two, the two greatest commandments that wrap up the entire law to love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord with all your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Nothing shameful about loving God with your mind. I want to address the head today. What do you do with historical Jesus? What do you do with Jesus Again, Jewish carpenter from a fishing town called Nazareth. Some dude's like, some dude in the, in the New Testament is like, what, does anything good come out of Nazareth? This, this, this guy from Nazareth somehow becomes the central focus of humanity. What do you do with that? Not only then, but right now. What do you, what do, you do with this information? How do you respond to it? Because for me, I think it dictates decision. I think it dictates you making a decision. And I think American Christianity is the worst at making a decision. We sit idly by for years thinking that we're actually following Jesus and we're not. I think today, I just, I just want you to stop thinking as the, of the gospel as a fence. The gospel is a gospel of no fences. Meaning you can't sit on a fence. This gospel dictates decision. It dictates decision-making about who God is and what that actually means, about what Jesus has said and what that actually means. This is a gospel of no fences. The only choice that you can't make is no choice at all. You got free will. But Jesus is saying, make a decision. Thousands of years later, we'll get there to that decision-making process, but I want to make my case still. Because not only is Jesus the centrality of the focus then, but he is now, and I want to prove that through two things. Uh, one, uh, longevity of him being recognized as God, and two, culture now. Okay? Let's start with one. He's not the only God around back here, fighting for people's heart and mind. Right? The centrality of the, of the Greek culture, are, you know, Zeus, Artemis, Aphrodite, these gods are huge. There's wars being fought around these guys. There's literature being written, what they consider holy texts being written around Zeus, Artemis, Aphrodite, Dionysus. So let me ask you this question. Today, 
Do you know one Zeus worshiper? Anybody? You ever talking to your buddy and you're like, what are you doing Sunday morning? He's like, I'm going to Zeus church. I'm bringing my trident, my Poseidon trident, and I'm hitting up uh, the book of Hermes uh, and, we're, and we're going to Zeus church in a, in, a, in a Bible study. Anybody know people like this? I don't know anybody. Guys, wars are being fought around these gods and all of a sudden they're dead thousands of years later. They're dead. Dionysus was huge. We know the attraction surrounding Dionysus. Dionysus was the god of the vine and the god of reproduction. Uh, and worship to them included fornication. Uh, you know, that's, there's the F word, sorry. Uh, and, and drinking. So we can understand why Dionysus was a, was a bit popular. Cults all over worshiping Dionysus. Do you know a Dionysus worshiper? Hopefully not. Right? What about Isis? Not to be confused with the Islamic State, but there's a goddess named Isis. Isis is actually the, the, the patron goddess of the Roman household, of the Roman royal household at this moment in time when Mark is writing this letter. Have you ever heard of Isis? Again, not the Islamic State, but the, but the goddess Isis. Don't lie in church. Okay? We got, we got at least one. It's good. For the rest of us, Isis has just out the back door. What's going on here? These gods have no longevity. Mayan gods, uh, Viking gods, they get hot for a time, and they're so hot that people are sacrificing people to these gods. I mean, it's crazy. They're hot for a time, and then they're gone. They're gone. They don't don't last the, the test of time. There's temples built, entire cities. If you get to travel that way, it's on my bucket list to head over to Greece. It's on my bucket list to, to, to walk the seven letters tour and, and, and walk where Jesus was. If you get over that way, the, the, these cities are built around these gods, the, these temples and these statues, and they're amazing. And money went into them, and wars were fought about them, and now they're just nothing. They're nothing. I was in Belize, Central America, these Mayan gods that these people, they, 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 you, you, you feel the eeriness where these children were sacrificed to these Mayan gods. Now they're nothing. And I promise you, Muhammad will be nothing. The Hindu gods will be nothing. Animism, a popular religion uh, on the other side of the world, it'll be nothing. And there'll be one that stands, a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. How can that be? That's the longevity. I want, to talk about, I want to talk about how Jesus is the center. This is a guy named Dallas Willard. Um, really great book, um, if you get a chance to check it out. The, the way we speak of Jesus, the luminous Nazarene, as Albert Einstein once called him, along with two thieves, he was executed by authorities about 2,000 years ago. Yet today, from countless paintings, statues and buildings, from literature and history, from personality and institution, from profanity... Right, we use his name in profanity. Popular song, entertainment, media, the confession from confession and controversy, from legend and ritual. Jesus stands quietly at the center of the contemporary world as he himself predicted. He so graced the ugly instrument on which he died that the cross has become the most widely exhibited and recognized symbol on earth. Come on, church. From Jesus walks to Jesus pieces. 
From the largest and longest religion to t-shirts and bumper stickers, from country music to hip-hop, from wars to peace, from books to records, from cuss words to commands, from the cross to controversy. The cross is an instrument of death and shame, and yet somehow Jesus has made it the central symbol of hope all over the world. Explain this. Answer for this in your own relationship with God from your, from your mind. Look, your mind and your heart and your soul, it's all connected by a spiritual string. That's how God created us. So if you, can, if you can understand this from your head, if you can come face to face with historical Jesus and make a decision about who he is, it will connect to your heart. But you've got to make a choice. The gospel is a gospel of no fences. You've got to jump off the fence. You have to deal with who this, I mean, this, 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 this guy from nowhere, with no distinct features, that's what the Bible says about Jesus, with, with really no money, middle class money, and then he went homeless for three years while he preached the gospel. This guy somehow not only you know, convinces his brother that he's God, but convinces the, 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 the leaders of the land. Think about your brother. Think about what it would take to convince your brother that you are God. I, mean, I have one sister what it would take to convince Jessica Lynn Thornton that I am a deity. I would, I would need to start with flight, right? Just flying. And even then she'd be like, it's a trick. He's a mess. I grew up with him, right? Just think about what, what that means, that James is deeply in love with his brother as God. What do you do with that? That's historical Jesus. I'm not even talking about nothing spiritual. What do you do with his brother believing and writing a book of the Bible that he is God? What do you do with that? You have to, you have to address this in, in your head and eventually your heart and mind. And you have to make a choice this morning. That's really what I'm asking you to do. Make a choice. Make a choice. Some of us uh, learn to drive a little bit later than others. Uh, my wife was in that category because of her proximity to the city and some other, some other things. And so... Uh, we got put in the precarious position of me teaching my wife how to drive. And I recommend this to nobody unless you, in three weeks, want to go to counseling. Um, there's, there's nothing wrong with counseling, but we almost went to counseling because I was teaching how to drive. That's a little bit shameful. Uh, I was the worst teacher on the planet. I was young, uh, dumb, you know, arrogant, not listening, not sensitive, and just not smart. Okay, It was my first couple years of marriage. I'm sanctified in Jesus now, okay? Uh, I still got a lot of work to do. But anyways, th- th- this is where we're at, and, and we're, f- we're fighting over this thing constantly. Um, and we're in the car, and, and she's just kind of done with me at this point. We haven't talked about it. Uh, I've asked my parents. My parents are up now. Dad, you're, you're a marriage counselor. You're sweet and kind. Why don't you teach her? So he's teaching her, but we're in the car, me and her. Uh, and, and we're at this red light, and... It turns green, and so I'm like, okay, but it's, it's green. I started out real nice, okay. It's, it's green. And she's like, oh, I have to put on my seatbelt. I'm like, oh, you got, you got two hands. That was, my, that was my first mistake. You got two hands. You just, you know, you know there you go. You, know? you go through, you know. She's like, no, I'm going to put on my seatbelt. Okay, and it turns red. Now, for most human beings, that's fine, right? We just sat through one green light. That's not a big deal. For Captain Efficient Pants over here, uh, who thinks he's driving for NASCAR most of the time, even when he's in a minivan, my blood started to simmer just a bit. Like the justice that there was a green light and nobody went. It hurt me in my core. She's fine, right? Because she's a patient, normal human being. Me, I'm struggling on my innards. So I wait for it to turn green. It turns green. I say, okay, it's, it's green now. And she says, no, there's someone coming from the left. 
I'm like, no, they're going to stop. They're rolling to a stop. She's like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? I know. I know this. It's, it's part. You turn green. They turn red. This is what's happening. She's like, I don't know. I don't know. She just didn't even care at this point. She's like, I don't trust you. Okay? And it turned red again. We sat through two full cycles. I died inside. I don't know if some angels died somewhere, but I just feel like I died somewhere. And, and, and I just, I just, the justice was not served. Now, I asked her for permission for this one. Two, I have since repented of my impatience. Uh, and three, she's an amazing driver at this point. Uh, but but l- let, me ju- let me just say this. There's only a few things to do at a red light. Three things. Go, slow, stop. Right? Very simple. Go, slow, stop. There's only three things to do here. There's only, there's only three things to do with the idea that Jesus is Lord. Now, some of you guys, I feel like, are sitting at the stoplight. You're in the car, for sure. You're in the car, and there's a Christian sticker on one side. It's like, honk if you love Jesus. Uh, there's an American sticker, because we've Americanized Christianity on the other side. And you are in the car. But you've just been sitting at this red light over and over again. And Jesus is saying, make a choice. Please make a choice. The only thing you can't do is not make a choice. Again, some of you sitting in your lukewarmness. Um, This is what, like not only has Jesus over time proven that he's God uh, through his actions and through uh, him being the centrality of culture, but he also claims to be God. Did you know he's the only God that actually claims to be God? None of these other people have claimed to be God. This is what he says in John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there's a bunch of people that, that argue, well, he doesn't actually claim to be God. Come on. Let's just use common sense here, okay? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. This one almost got him stoned. Because he's saying, I've been here for all time. So so not only do we have this Jesus being the center of culture over time and the length of time and and the longest amount of time, but he actually claims to be God. Like, what do you do with that? God is saying this morning, you have to make a choice. Stop sitting at the red light. Stop going, ah, maybe he's God. Maybe he's this or that. Maybe he's just a good prophet. Maybe he's a good teacher. This, This is impossible. This is impossible to respond this way. Look, there's this guy named C.S. Lewis. Anybody know The Lion, Witch, from Wardrobe? Some of these famous books, okay? Amazing writer, amazing ap- apologetic guy. Uh, he was actually an atheist, a staunch atheist, okay? And, and somehow he comes to God through this main argument. Now, he did not make this argument first. He popularized this argument. But it's called the Lewis Trilemma. The Lewis Trilemma. So he goes from atheist to to Jesus follower to being one of the most influential Jesus followers of the last two centuries, okay? He he goes from that to this, and he does it through this trilemma. And here's the trilemma. A man who is merely a man, a trilemma means you could be one of three things. It's a triple problem, okay? One of three things. A man who was merely a man and said these sort of things, Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. See, in his time, people are saying, this guy's just a good teacher, doing some great things, healing some people. No, he claims to be God. So he can't just be a moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic. That's the first L. Hold that L, lunatic. 
He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg. Love that. That's just good writing. Like, what, what did you pick? He's sitting in his office. Poached egg sounds good. Or else he would be the devil of hell. Yikes. You must make your choice. Make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. He says, this was my trilemma. I'm an atheist, but I, I come face to face, face with historical Jesus, what he said about himself, what he became, the fact that he's being stampeded by these people because of all the people he's healing and the, and the demons he's casting out, and the fact that he's the centrality of the universe all this time later, I'm faced with a trilemma that either Jesus is a lunatic, let me, let me, let me go back, actually just keep going, I, I missed one, okay, uh, if, if you can find the 3L slide, Either he is a lunatic, he is a liar, or he's Lord. That's his trilemma. Because only a lunatic would claim to be God. If a lunatic comes in here today, if I came up here like, God, uh, guys, you know what? I came to this revelation. I am God. You'd be like, you are fired. Right? If some, some random person walked in here and like, I'm Lord. You'd be like, you need a sandwich. Let's get this guy a sandwich. Right? Something's going on. Some, you know. Something's going on up here, right? So either he's lunatic, and if he's lunatic, there's no, the only thing that's more crazy than a crazy man is worshiping a crazy man and singing songs to him while eating bagels. So if he's lunatic, there's a response to that. If he's a liar, maybe your choice is that he's a liar. Just choose this morning. Maybe your choice is that he's a liar. Okay. You have free will to choose that Jesus lied to everybody. 1 Corinthians, it says that Jesus went face to face after his resurrection in his resurrected body with over 500 people. As Paul's writing this, he's like, some of those folks are still alive. Just go see Uncle Remus on the front porch. He'll tell you about seeing Jesus face to face. So that's fine. If you choose that he's a liar, that all this was some big lie, that's your choice. But if you choose that he's Lord, something needs to change in your life. Now, you can bring an argument to me, hey, Justin, because you wouldn't bring it to C.S. Lewis. He's too smart. But you bring it to me, hey, Justin, there's another option. What if he's a magician? For me, magicians are just liars. But, okay, you want to make that case? That's fine. You think this was all magic? At least you're making a choice about who historical Jesus is and what that means. But I want to talk to those of you who call him Lord. And I want to end with asking, is he really Lord? Because that's, that's just as bad in God's mind if you call him the wrong thing, as if you called him the wrong thing. So let's talk about that for a minute. There's one more L that's not in this trilemma, but it's a, it's a response. Because look, every, every single one of these has consequences. But if he's Lord, and you're living with one more L, lukewarm, Jesus is just as upset <laughs> as if you, if you called him a liar. This is what he says uh, in, in Revelation. Don't go there yet. But I'm going to tell you a story real quick about the book of Revelation. Um, all of Jesus' disciples died from their persecution. So some were beaten with a club. Uh, some were burned at the stake. Some were stoned. Uh, some were crucified upside down. Peter himself was crucified upside down. He didn't want to be crucified right side up because like, he didn't feel like he was worthy to, to die in the same way as Jesus. All these people died. But this one guy named John, 
John is boiled alive. So, so John is doing a great job. He's the pastor in Ephesus. He's talking about Jesus. The name of Jesus is spreading. This guy named Domitian uh, is threatened. And so he has John boiled alive in an oil vat. That just sounds like a really bad Tuesday afternoon, okay? Uh, I don't know how he survives. It's either miracle or maybe they didn't make the oil vat hot enough. But he survives, and that threatens Domitian even more. So Domitian's like, I can't kill this guy. Let's kick him off to the island of Patmos, okay? Where, where there's not, not a ton of human life. Let's kick him over there. So John is cast off to the island of Patmos, and, and, and this is what God uses to give John revelation. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and it's the prophetic, or it's the prophecy of how Jesus is going to come back again. Not only is it how Jesus is going to come back again, but it's a letter to seven different churches. So those churches don't exist today. Uh, we, we don't, I mean, maybe they do, but, but we, these are prophetic to the churches. These aren't literal churches, okay? If they were literal churches, it would be like named something like hipster like we do today, like Drive Church, <laughs> uh, Dripping Church, like these churches that we have all over the place, like Zip, okay, relax, Zip Church. Uh, so, so obviously, they're, they're named after some of the cities, and, and one of them is named Laodicea. And Laodicea is on the naughty list. Laodicea is getting no presents for Christmas from Jesus. And the things he says about Laodicea, because they're lukewarm, are shocking. I want to just take you there. It's, it did bounce, really? I, that was such a good lead up. Thank you. <laughs> like an, all right. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. In other words, you haven't made a choice. You're fence sitting. Would that you were either cold or hot, please. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, you have not made a decision, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You think think these people feel any of that? These people are like, we're rich. We're good. We got money. We're spiritually healthy. We go to church every week. And Jesus says, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Because you have not made a choice. You say the words, Jesus is Lord, but you don't live like it. Jesus is, excuse me, ticked off, right? It's like, enough of this. Enough of this fence sitting. You are lukewarm and it's not okay. So, so let's end off here talking to the crowd that is claiming that Jesus is Lord. And maybe that's a good percentage of you. I, I want you to ask yourself, first of all, have I made a decision in, in the trilemma? Have I made a decision? Second of all, if he's Lord, do I live like he's Lord? I got a little, little bit of a gauge for you at the end here. I'm just going to go through six things really quick. You figure out how you answer these questions, okay? One, me and Jeremy are fighting. Do you walk into his courts every day? Like as if he's Lord, you're going to go into his courts and go, what you got today, Lord? How can I serve you? What's in your word? What am I supposed to do? Who who am I supposed to love today, pray for today, reach out to today? How do I serve your church today? If he's Lord, you walk into his courts daily and ask, how can I be your servant? If you do not, then you have to ask the question, is he actually Lord? 
If you don't address him as Lord, if you don't ask him what he has for you, if you don't look what obedience should look like, then is he actually Lord? You have to, you have to ask these questions to yourself. I love that song, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Do you, do you walk into his courts and ask him? Number two, do your decisions with resources come from the king, another word for Lord, or is the king an afterthought? So we always talk about it this way. There's three T's, time, talent, treasure. They're all resources. When you get those things, you get a little bit of time, when you get a little some treasure, uh, when, when you got your talents and, and you know what God has given you, how, how, he's, how he's gifted you, do you just use those things how you want? Or do you go to the, the king, the Lord, and say, how can I love your kingdom? What do I do with these resources? Do you invest in his kingdom? That's a good question. Number three, do you trust the Lord or your king in risky adventures? Look, the Bible is one big narrative of God saying, take this faith risk and I will provide for you. That's, that's the entire scriptures. Just, just follow each person. Go do this thing. It's risky. It's, it's far outside what you want to do. It's far outside what you're capable of. But just do it. I'm going to provide the way. I'm telling you, you only know if Jesus is Lord if you've taken a faith-filled risk at some point in the past six months. Like, when was the last time you've taken a faith-filled risk? If you haven't, you're not addressing the king because the king is always going to send you. Number four, do you spend your time building a castle or his kingdom? Are you building castles or kingdoms? Because if everything that comes in, you're like, let me just build up my little kingdom here. Let's make it nice and sweet. A bed of pillows <laughs> feels good. If, if you're just building that castle constantly, how do you know you're building God's kingdom at all? Number five, again, we're asking ourselves, is Jesus actually Lord? At the crossroads of life, do you choose his way or everyone else's way? In your workplace, uh, as I sit down with many of you, you come with these crossroads every week at some point. The crossroads comes up. You know what the crossroads is? Like, you know Jesus wants you to do things this way, but your coworkers want you to do things this way. And there's the crossroads. And you're either going to worry about what they say about you, or you're going to think about what the king says about you. Is he Lord? Or are those people Lord over your life? Those people can't love you. They can't bring you freedom. They can't bring anything for you. Last one. Last one. Almost done. Do you have reverence or rebellion? Do you know what an idol is? An idol is like, worship and reverence can only go to one thing, and that's an idol. So either Jesus is your idol, or other things are your idol. And I think our greatest idol as a culture is independence right now. It's rebellion. I want to do things my way. I want to, I want to spend my money how I want to be. I, you know, this might step on some toes. I want to be a certain sex like the, we're just like, uh, this is what I want to be, and so I'm going to be it. I don't care how God made me, what the Lord says about it, what the Lord wants me to do, what the Lord wants me to do with this money. I don't care about any of that. I'm just going to do it because I can. Because I'm a, a millennial, dang it. I can do what I want, you know? You feel that independence? That's an idol. A servant lovingly and willingly walks into the king's presence and is like, what you want me to do, I revere you. I get on my hands and knee. Whatever you want me to do, Lord. Is Jesus Lord? Make a decision today, for real. 
I've seen people old and gray, man. They've knew about Jesus for 40 years, but they did not know Jesus for the, the entire 40 years. They're sitting in their car. The car is on idle. They're sitting cycle after cycle at that red light, and they die right there. And Jesus was never Lord. He was somebody. He was a good buddy. He was a, a guy you kind of party with once in a while. He was a guy you do holiday with. He was like that kind of that, that, that weird uncle at the party where you're like, is he going to be at the party? Because I might not go there if Uncle Remus is going to be there eating all the potato salad and trying to talk to me about life. That's who Jesus is to some of us. We see him once in a while, but he's not Lord. Let's pray. As God continues to work on your heart, Jesus, we come face to face with your reason today. (laughs) Not just the heart, not just the spiritual, but the reasoning that you have claimed to be God, you have proven to be God, and you somehow are at the center of culture thousands of years later. And your cross is somehow the, the greatest symbol of hope. Thousands of years later. Today I pray that you help my friends make a choice. Make a choice. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Help us make a choice today, God. I pray that there is a spiritual weight in the room that comes from you. It's a, it's a light yoke, but it's, a, it's enough of a weight that would ask people to make a decision about who you are. Because if you're Lord, everything changes. you actually casted demons out with a breath, if you actually sat with sinners, if you actually healed all those people, fed all those people multiplying bread and fish, if you actually did these things, God, help us submit to you as Lord and not just as Uncle Remus. We love you and we ask that you would be in this room right now as we make those decisions in Jesus' name.